With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, July 19th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Make sure you check out the daily article over at ATS.io. That new format that we started about a month or so ago. Uh, everybody seems to like that taking a look at some bullet point thoughts on the games throughout the day, but then writing some individual previews for the games that are official picks in the ATS app. So check out the daily article and those accompanying previews every day over at the website and download that ATS app from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database, full article integration from the website. You buy a premium model subscription in there as well. Lots of great things at your fingertips there. Very helpful resources to make you a better better in that ATS app. Speaking of resources, I've been working on some college football stuff for you over at ATS.io to check out. Posted my college football power ratings last week. Posted some of my season win total best bets, including my spreadsheet of all of my projected win totals and all of my projected lines for the upcoming college football season over there at the website To go along with, over the weekend here, a look at some new offensive and defensive coordinators that I think should have an impact for this upcoming college football season. So you can check that stuff out over at ATS.io. And real quickly, I want to mention that uh, we will not be doing shows with Brian Blessing the next couple of weeks here. Uh, We'll have an announcement to make next week on the shows, but won't be doing anything with Brian Blessing here uh, over the next two weeks on ATS Radio. But we'll have the betters box coming up here Monday, on Mondays, obviously, and then also another edition here coming up on Thursday. So with that, we get into today's edition of the betters box. We'll go beyond the box score, then take a look down the lines. I'll give you a pick for tonight's action and then preview four series for the week ahead. Still a lot of blanks in terms of the probable pitchers. Teams still setting up their rotations for the second half and all of that. So not a full list of starters for those previews but still some thoughts coming up for me here at the tail end of today's show. And we start with a look beyond the box score and a very big weekend for offense coming out of the all-star break Friday, Saturday, Sunday, collectively across the board, 252 batting average, 324 on base, 422 slugging percentage. Saw 116 home runs hit over the weekend strikeout percentage down at 22.5%. And This is an extension, but to a higher degree, of what we've seen since the foreign substance crackdown with that first memo on June 3rd, then of course June 21st, actually checking the pitchers, and they've continued to do that here after the All-Star break. Yeah, the Padres and the Blue Jays did kind of skew the metrics a little bit. Padres with a monster offensive weekend at Nationals Park. The Blue Jays hanging 20 runs, or what they score, 20... 25 runs in 20 innings, I think, against the Texas Rangers here over the weekend. So those two teams did skew the numbers a little bit here. But the primary takeaway is that, look, we're still sitting 247 with a 321 on base and a 416 slugging since that June 3rd substance crackdown. It has had the impact that Major League Baseball was looking for. And again, 
the, the biggest thing here is the lower strikeout percentage. You've got more chances at high velocity contact. And what we're seeing here is that the teams that hit for power are the teams that have really benefited the most. The teams that when they don't strike out are going to have those extra base hit types of outcomes on those batted balls. So that's what we've definitely seen here so far is that the offenses that have been really good since the crackdown have been teams that are always really good, but teams like the Blue Jays, teams like the Astros, teams like the Giants and the Angels, teams that take their batted balls and generate a lot of power with them. The low slugging percentage offenses, the Royals and the Cardinals and the Cubs and teams like that, they're continuing to struggle. Even though this is a much higher offensive environment across the board, the teams that don't hit for power are struggling. And even my Cleveland Indians, you know, who are not a good offense, by a lot of the metrics out there, they're not a good offense at all. They're still in the bottom 10 in the league. They're still, uh, they were a bottom five offense up until the, the substance crackdown, but they do hit home runs and they do make a good amount of hard contact. So they've been able to have a little bit more success here in this lower strikeout environment. So as we move forward, I don't think that changes at all. You know, you think about some of the hitters that are going to be available here at the trade deadline, guys like a Joey Gallo, guys like a Chris Bryant, guys that can hit for power, guys that make really quality contact, they should thrive with their new teams. Because a lot of these teams that do have bats with power are the ones that are having the good offensive numbers. So that's something for you to keep in mind here as we go forward, as we kind of put together a profile of some of the play on teams that are out there, look for teams that hit for power. And furthermore, look to fade pitchers that are giving up a lot of home runs, pitchers that don't have a great command profile because it's still challenging to score in the traditional way, you know, manufacturing innings and all of that kind of thing. But we are seeing an uptick in home runs and a big one at that. And with additional balls in play, we're seeing more batted balls go for hits. So, Look for those pitchers that don't have great command profiles. Look to bet overs in their games or look to fade them because power is back to really ruling the day here in Major League Baseball. And to that end, the batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour up to 496 now with a 621 weighted on base average. That's been steadily rising as we've gone forward here throughout the season. It was something that was down in the 480s throughout April and May. Now it's up approaching 500, could very well get there by the end of the season. So the success rate of high-velocity contact has gone up, but we haven't really seen an increase in contact quality, something I'll talk about here in a couple of minutes. But something I did want to take a look at here, team records and rankings by FIP, Fielding Independent Pitching, since June 3rd. And I thought this was really interesting because as I started going through you know, I, I sort of found some correlations here with some of these teams. So the Brewers are 27 and 13, and these are ranked by number of wins, by the way. Brewers are 27 and 13. They also have the best FIP of any team since June 3rd. They are first in that department. Dodgers are 25 and 13. They are third in FIP. Astros 25 and 14, eighth in FIP. Reds 24 and 16. They rank ninth in fielding independent pitching. The Giants at 23 and 13 are second in FIP. The Red Sox 24 and 15, but they are 20th in FIP. White Sox 23 and 14, they're sixth in FIP. And the Mariners 22 and 15, 
They are 10th in FIP. So you've got some good offenses there. A lot of good offenses there. You have the Mariners who are winning a lot of one-run games, being you know a pretty big overachiever, all of that. But I think the Red Sox are a really interesting one to point out here. At 24 and 15 since June 3rd, but 20th in FIP. And they're still a borderline top 10 offense, but they really haven't had the uptick that a lot of other teams have had. They don't hit for a lot of home run power. So they haven't had the same kind of offensive uptick that other teams have had. And when you look at the Red Sox here, when you look at their alternate standings metrics, they are plus four in Pythagorean win-loss, and they are plus eight in base runs. Now, we saw them lose that series over the weekend to the shorthanded Yankees, but there are a lot of discouraging signs in the profile for the Boston Red Sox here. They're winning games in spite of their pitching. They're winning games in spite of not having a whole lot of power, in spite of not really having the uptick in offensive production that we've seen from other teams around the league. So there are some people out there that are very pessimistic about Boston, and it's probably deserved at this point in time. I mean, you you probably look at a team like the Rays to win that division. There's not a whole lot of value on the price, but I do think that there are enough, you know, negative signs here for the Red Sox to believe that they are going to fall off the pace a little bit. Now they are going to get Chris Sale back here probably in three weeks to a month, something like that. So he kind of serves as a de facto trade deadline acquisition. And maybe that's something that does kind of help Boston stabilize a little bit, but that patchwork rotation of guys like Nick Pavetta and Martin Perez and Garrett Richards and some of these guys, you know, those guys have really fallen off here of late. Eduardo Rodriguez has gotten better and Nate Yavaldi is having a Cy Young caliber kind of season, but the other guys, the depth guys are kind of falling off a little bit. So Boston is a team that, first of all, I think they need to be in the market for some starting pitching at the trade deadline. But second, I think there are questions about their sustainability, about their ability to continue playing to this degree. And again, of the teams with the most wins since June 3rd, they are the only one outside the top 10 in FIP, and they are 20th in that department. So Boston maybe living on some smoke and mirrors right now. And I think that as we kind of put together a a profile of them as a team here going forward, I do think that we will find quite a few negative regression signs in that profile. Now, as far as the worst teams since June 3rd, the Diamondbacks are 7-31. and They are 30th in FIP. Royals 10-29, and 29th in FIP. Orioles 11-25, and 27th in FIP. Rangers 13-23, and 28th in FIP. The Cubs 14-24, and 26th in FIP. Cardinals 15-22, and 24th. And then the Marlins and the Pirates are both 16-23. and 23. But the Marlins are 4th in FIP and the Pirates are 23rd. So... Again, a very high correlation here between FIP and record since June 3rd. You know, offense has gone up around the league. We do think about, you know, things in the context of offense driving the bus. But really what it is, is that the teams that have been able to survive this spin rate crackdown from a pitching standpoint have done very, very well. The teams that don't have good pitching staffs, and these teams have not had good pitching staffs all year long, with the exception of the Marlins, of course, they've really fallen off the pace. They've really faltered quite a bit. Again, I don't think this changes as we go forward here. And when you talk about these teams that are really bad, Arizona and Kansas City and Baltimore and Texas and all of that, it creates a very chalky environment as we go forward here, where I think big favorites will continue to do very well 
especially the big favorites that are the really good offensive teams. So as we go throughout the rest of the regular season here, you cannot be allergic to chalk. You're going to have to look to play on some of these big favorites. Try to get out in front of some of these numbers before the lines move. Don't lay, you know, minus 250 when you could have had minus 210, something like that. Because in the event that that team loses, you know, every little bit that you can recoup or at least avoid losing is going to help your bottom line. But the thing about it is here, you know, I think we have a very top-heavy rest of the baseball season because you've got a lot of haves and a lot of have-nots. And you've got teams that are hitting very well in this new environment. And you've got teams that can do a good job on the pitching side. And look, it's probably not earth shattering analysis or anything like that to say, well, the teams that have pitched the best have the best record, but it's simply to say that in this environment here, where we see this increase in power, where we see this decrease in strikeout rate and keep in mind too, these teams that are really bad in FIP, they're bad because they don't strike anybody out. The diamondbacks don't strike anybody out. The Royals, A lot of pitch-to-contact guys. Same thing with the Orioles. Same thing with the Rangers. Same thing with the Cubs and the Cardinals. Pirates as well. These are all pitch-to-contact pitching staffs. So maybe more than ever, it's important to have that increased margin for error like pitching staffs like the Brewers and the Dodgers have, like the Giants have, stuff like that. So like the White Sox have for sure. So this is very important, I think. And I think that you know, again, you don't want to be allergic to chalk the rest of the way because I don't see a lot of this changing. I mean, yeah, the Marlins have a great pitching staff and we'll keep our fingers crossed that Pablo Lopez is okay, but they don't hit, you know? So you at least have to be able to hit at some kind of level while also being able to pitch. And a lot of these really bad teams can't really do either one of those things. So it will be a top-heavy rest of the regular season, I think, as we go forward here. And... Look, we had five teams with a strikeout per nine inning rate over 10 from April 1st to June 2nd. We have three teams now, the White Sox, the Dodgers, and the Brewers. Brewers, best record in baseball since June 3rd. Dodgers, second best record in baseball since June 3rd. And the White Sox at 23 and 14 doing well. They you know, missed out on a few games because of postponements and, and whatnot, but the White Sox are playing very well also. You know, the two teams that fell out, the Padres and the Angels, the Padres have gotten the offense going. The Angels have the offense going as well. But, you know, this lower strikeout environment is is something that we need to pay close attention to. And as I talked about probably about a month or a month and a half or so ago, you know, then it also brings defense into the equation a lot more. You know, a lot of those teams that are playing well are pretty good defensive teams. A lot of the teams that aren't playing well aren't very good defensive teams. So, All of this kind of works hand in hand here. If we look at some of the macro trends across Major League Baseball, since that foreign substance crackdown, you know, look, you've got to have some margin for error to miss bats. You've got to have an offense that likes to hit for power. You know, I mean, even the Brewers offense has gotten going here in this span. The pitching staff has obviously been great, but even the Brewers offense has gotten going. They've hit for a little bit more power here of late. Maybe they made some adjustments, something like that. Maybe, you know, the smart organizations will kind of pick up on these things. We'll pick up on some of these smaller sample size trends, kind of figure out if there are adjustments that they can make with their hitters. Just the same thing that we're doing, trying to make adjustments here in the betting markets. But as I said, I think you've got to really look at teams that hit for power and can prevent power, you know, and and that means getting a lot of strikeouts. So I think it makes sense that a lot of these teams that are up here do have high strikeout rates from their pitching staffs. 
You can email me skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the betters box show notes. And can I always talk about a lot of numbers, a lot of metrics and all of that. So I think it's very important to get on that list for the show notes. I realize I didn't send any out during the all-star break last week. So I apologize for that. Uh, but I will return to doing that here uh, with this Monday show. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're seeing more success for offenses, but we're not necessarily seeing any more harder, any harder contact. You know, when we look at the hard hit percentage from April 1st to June 2nd, there were 12 teams over 40%. And in order, they were the Twins at 42.8, Yankees and Braves 42.7, Nationals 42.4, Giants 41.7, Red Sox 41.4, Blue Jays just over 41%, the A's just under 41%, then the Indians, Dodgers, Padres, and Cubs. So we had 12 teams from April 1st to June 2nd with a hard hit percentage over 40%. Since June 3rd through yesterday's games, we only have 10 teams with a hard hit percentage over 40%. They are the Padres at 43.1, Blue Jays 42.7, Astros 42.2, Yankees and Red Sox both 42.1, White Sox 41.2, Royals 40.7, Twins 40.6, Nationals 40.5, and the Indians at 40.1. So we went from 12 teams from April 1st to June 2nd at 40% of a hard hit percentage. Now we're down to 10. So even though we've got this substance crackdown that has decreased spin rates, you know, kind of created a little bit less movement, has allowed more players to put more balls in play, they're not putting balls in play at a super hard hit rate or anything like that. Now, part of this, of course, is because as you increase the sample size, you know, you kind of get a lot more outcomes and all of that. So that's probably the reason why this list has gone down a little bit. But it's simply to say that we're not exactly seeing an uptick in hard hit contact or anything like that. We're just seeing more balls in play, more opportunities to create hits. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting to look at the tale of two seasons here. I mean, you think about the first half and the second half with regards to the All-Star break. But to me, I look at this baseball season, and it's April 1st to June 2nd was the first half, and June 3rd through the end of the season is the second half. That was such a fundamental change to Major League Baseball, and we've seen such a different environment here as we've gone forward. But I think one thing it is interesting to point out here is of the teams on those two lists, The Twins, Yankees, Nationals, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Indians, and Padres show up in both columns in my notes here for today's show. So the teams that were making a lot of hard contact early on are still doing so. That hasn't changed. There are some newcomers, the Astros, White Sox, and Royals, all teams up there in the top 10 now. But again, you know, the the offensive profiles for these teams with this new format, you know, they've still done well. So I think it's really important to kind of take a look at those things here. One thing I will mention, the Royals, who are seventh in hard hit percentage at 40.7%. So at least 40.7% of their batted balls have been hit 95 plus miles per hour. They are dead last in batting average on those batted balls and dead last by a large margin in weighted on base average. So they've made hard contact and they've had absolutely no success on it. A couple of other teams on this list, the Indians and the Padres, Padres with a massive uptick in hard contact, by the way, 
up 2.8% since June 3rd. They're starting to move up the list a little bit. Same thing with the Indians in terms of batting average and weighted on base average on hard hit contact. So like I talked about before, the extreme outliers will regress to the mean. Those two teams are moving up the charts a little bit. The Padres are still 26th and weighted on base average, but they have the second highest raw number of batted balls hit at least 95 miles per hour. So that should continue to help them as we go forward. Once again, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the betters box show notes. Let's go ahead and take a look down the lines here. And this weekend was kind of a mess. You know, we had unknown starters. We had starters swapping in and out. We had some double headers. We had all kinds of different things going on here this weekend in major league baseball. We had suspended games that had to be completed on Sunday before the Sunday game could start all kinds of stuff going on. But there were a few things at the betting markets. I want to take a look at here and, One of them being on Friday, you know, Matt Moore got faded again and burned betters again. I'm not sure if it's the third or the fourth time that that's happened, but we've seen 25, 30 cent moves against Matt Moore in his last several starts. And he's won every one of them, I think. So uh, that was an interesting one there on Friday. That was a game of a double header between the Marlins and the Phillies. We saw uh, Kyle Hendricks take some money against Madison Bumgarner and the Diamondbacks. Not really a big surprise on Friday. I was on the Cubs in that one. Kind of talked about that game in terms of, is Arizona going to be excited to get back to the ballpark? Turns out that they really weren't. But Kyle Hendricks has been outstanding over his last 12 starts. And that's something I think is really interesting to keep in mind, is that you have some pitchers here where you know their full season numbers maybe don't look that great, but maybe they got off to really bad starts in April. You know, I think about Shohei Otani and how the market is kind of you know, kind of a, they're not real high on him in his starts as a pitcher, but his walk rate is so much lower over his last eight starts than it was in his first four starts that he still gets punished for his high walk rate, even though it hasn't really been a factor except for that one start against the Yankees since the month of April. So those things are important to kind of keep in mind here. And I think it's important to keep in mind with a guy like Hendricks who got off to such a horrific start, but he's pitched so well here of late. On Friday, a line move that I expected to see, but we didn't see, a game that I was on actually on Friday, was Houston and Chicago with Lance McCullers against Dylan Cease. Now, I don't think that the betting markets have fully realized this, and I'm not entirely sure why, but Dylan Cease's spin rates are down significantly since that memo on June 3rd, and his performance, specifically his command, down significantly as well. So that's a guy I'm actively looking to fade here. And the White Sox are a very good team, a team that I do believe in to a degree offensively. But Cease is not a guy that I want to back. So that was one where I was kind of surprised that we didn't see more of a line move in that game. We'll see if the market kind of corrects itself in Cease's next start, uh, depending, of course, on you know who he's matched up with and who that start comes against. On Saturday, we saw a very big Brewers move, about a 25, 30 cent move on Brandon Woodruff for his start against Luis Castillo. And I thought this one was pretty interesting. And both guys pitched really well. Castillo especially pitched great. That was an ugly one for both of those bullpens. Castillo threw six excellent innings in that game. And in fact, he's pitched outstandingly well since the start of June. He's been terrific for Cincinnati. And that's another one of those guys where his full season numbers are not nearly indicative of where he's at right now. But even with that, the market did bet against the Reds in that game. There had been a lot of Reds steam at home throughout the course of the season, but not in that one. 
and the market was right, at least in terms of the final, but Castillo did outperform uh, Woodruff in that start. So look for Castillo to probably take some steam, uh, you know, once again here in his next outing. You know, we're not seeing as many totals moves right now. You know, maybe we're seeing a half run up or a half run down, but we were seeing moves of a full run, you know, in the month of June. The new normal has pretty much stabilized. You know, the odds makers have done a really good job. I think overs and unders are still in the 50-50 range since June 3rd. Uh, the odds makers have done a really strong job with adjusting their totals here. Still seeing those half run moves, but we're not seeing anything, uh, you know, of great outlier significance or anything like that. I did think it was the wrong move on Saturday when we saw the San Francisco uh, St. Louis total go up with Anthony DiSclefani and Quang Hung Kim. That one went from seven and a half to eight. We were on the first five under for that one, but the full game wound up staying under as well. And also on Saturday, we saw a fate of Garrett Cole. That was against Nate Yavaldi in the Red Sox and Yankees matchup. Not really a big surprise to see Garrett Cole get faded, uh, even though he was coming off of that really good performance against Houston. Uh, you know, everyone knows about his spin rate decrease. So we'll see what happens in his next start as he pitched pretty well again against the Red Sox there in that rain-shortened game. You know, on Sunday, I found it interesting that we had all that Brandon Woodruff money on Saturday against Luis Castillo, who's been pitching really, really well. But then the market was kind of tepid on Corbin Burns against Sonny Gray on Sunday. And of course, the highlight of Sonny Gray trying to get pine tar off of his ass by rubbing it on the mound like a dog does uh you know on the carpet but you know Burns pitched exceptionally well uh blowout win for the Brewers there in that one kind of a strange move uh in that game one that kind of left me scratching my head a little bit uh but a huge series for the Brewers you know I mean they kind of gave some games back to the Reds right before the all-star break and you know kind of some disappointing news for them coming out of the break with Devin Williams going on IL but you know, they get three good, well, two good starts in this series from Woodruff and Burns get some more offense as well. The Reds bullpen was a train wreck uh, and the Brewers came away with the sweep there in that series. On Sunday, we saw another good start from Merrill Kelly. We saw that total come down from nine and a half to nine uh, total pretty much sat nine everywhere. I had under nine and a half and uh, the run to push the total over with two outs in the ninth after Tori Lavulo inexplicably tried to push Merrill Kelly for a complete game. I don't know why you do that with a guy who had thoracic outlet syndrome surgery coming into the season. He's probably the best trade chip that you've got unless you plan to move Cattell Marte. No idea what the hell is going through Tori Lavulo's head. I don't think he will ever manage again in the major leagues. Uh, and maybe I got lucky that that one didn't fly over the total. Anyway, the diamondbacks had guys on base all day long in that game. They had that uh, Cole Calhoun double play. Uh, just a, a disastrous weekend again for the Diamondbacks, even though they won yesterday's game. Uh, but still, you know, I don't know why you send Merrill Kelly back out there when you know that he's probably going to be one of your better trade chips here at this point in time. We saw some pretty strong Carlos Rodon money against Framber Valdez as the White Sox with a nice series win over the Houston Astros. And I've talked about this before, but we saw Framber Valdez take money pretty much across the board in his first seven or eight starts. That hasn't happened here of late. And in fact, the market's kind of been against him. So maybe the sports books have kind of overcompensated a little bit for all of that Valdez steam early in the year. But uh, he was bet against on Sunday and the White Sox did win that game. Money came in against the Mariners on Sunday. That was Logan Gilbert against Patrick Sandoval. Gilbert's been outstanding 
for the Mariners since getting called up from AAA Tacoma. Sandoval's been pretty good too. I understand where the market was with regards to that move, uh, but the Mariners, they just keep winning games in spite of what a lot of their metrics show. Tyon and, and the New York Yankees took money in Sunday Night Baseball against the Boston Red Sox. That was a fade of Martin Perez. Not really a surprise to see a fade of Martin Perez there. But the Yankees continue to take money. The betting markets really still like New York. There are a lot of reasons to like New York. And the Yankees even took some money in this series uh, being a little bit shorthanded as well. Maybe that could have been also a fade of the Red Sox. I guess you could certainly point to that too. But, uh, you know, the Yankees taking a lot of money out there on a pretty regular basis uh, in the betting markets. Lastly, I'm surprised we didn't get more of a Mike Fultonevich fade, although I didn't do it. So I guess that's my own fault. But uh, Fultonevich gave up like 10 runs, four home runs in that start against the Blue Jays. He's been awful everywhere, but especially looking to fade him on the road. Uh, I don't know how much longer the Rangers can watch that, but at the same time, they might as well use him as a sacrificial lamb and let him eat up some innings so they can kind of protect some of their younger arms. Here on Monday, lots of blanks on the betting board overnight. Not a ton of probable starters listed for these games here, but there were some noteworthy moves, including a move down in the Mets-Reds game. It's Gerard Eikhoff going up against Vladimir Gutierrez. Uh, look, like I said, I think the market is, is not a fan of the Cincinnati Reds here. You know, this offense has leveled off quite a bit. Castillo's been good. Tyler Mayo's been fine. You know, their starters have been okay. Their bullpen's really bad, though. So we saw some Mets money hit the overnight board uh, for that game against the Reds there. The Giants and the Dodgers. I mean, this is obviously the headline line move of the day. Massive move here on the Dodgers and Tony Gonsolin taking on the Giants and Kevin Gaussman. Now, this one's gone up about 30 cents here. And I do think that we get some San Francisco buyback as the day goes along. There probably are some concerns about Gaussman because he was gone over the weekend, went back to Louisiana. His wife was having some complications with her pregnancy. So Gaussman went down there. Apparently everything is okay. And hopefully everything is okay enough for him to go back and make this start here. He was supposed to pitch on Friday, now gets the start on Monday. So I guess maybe there could be some concerns about that. But I also think and I guess I'll talk about this here in a minute. So I'll save it, actually. We'll, we'll talk about it here when we preview some series for the week ahead. A big move on Lance Lynn in game one for the Twins. That's against Griffin Jacks. Uh, or big move on Lynn for the White Sox, excuse me, against Griffin Jacks and the Twins. I get it. Totally understand it. Thought about playing the run line because Minnesota is just terrible. Uh, they are just really bad. Lance Lynn, $38 million richer today. So kudos to him for that. But uh you know, it's tough. I think it's tough to lay a run line in a double header. Uh, you know, just the limited number of opportunities to go to the plate. Odds are the White Sox only hit six times in this game because they'll probably win and not have to bat in the seventh inning. So we'll see what happens there. But I did give it some thought. It's just kind of a, a tough mental thing to get over. Lastly, here for the line moves on Monday, Cleveland Indians, my Indians, taking some money against the Astros. This one's come down about 15, 20 cents or so. Giancarlos Mejia and Zach Granke in that one. Uh, I don't know why the Indians are taking money. I mean, Mejia has not pitched well at all, but I like the over nine. Took the over nine here for today with that Mejia and Granke matchup. Indians offense, as I talked about earlier, they make a lot of hard contact. They've been better since June 3rd. They've been almost league average, which is a pretty big accomplishment for them. 
but they hit for power. And Zach Greinke will give up the long ball. And I assume the Astros bang out some hits and some runs against Mejia. So over nine, the play here tonight down at the juice box in Houston. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about this Giants-Dodgers series as we preview the week ahead. These two teams will play seven games head-to-head between now and July 29th. Four-gamer at Dodger Stadium this week, three games at Oracle Park next week. Kevin Gaussman, Tony Gonsolin tonight, Alex Wood, and to be determined on Tuesday, Logan Webb, Julio Urias on Wednesday, Anthony DiScofani, and Walker Bueller on Thursday. So as I mentioned, Big Dodgers steam today. And I've talked about this a lot, that it feels like the Giants have been disrespected in the betting markets all year long. A lot of their favorite prices, I feel like, should have been bigger. A lot of times when they're an underdog, the line should be smaller, or maybe they shouldn't be an underdog at all. There's a disconnect between what they've actually done and how they're being priced in the betting markets. Today, we get respect for the Giants and for Gaussman specifically, and the line shoots up. So I think this is really worth following as this series goes along, as this as next week's series comes about and everything like that. I think there's this perception out there that the Dodgers are just kryptonite for the Giants. The Dodgers have won six of the nine meetings so far, but they've only outscored the Giants by five runs over those nine games and pretty much two of them, you know, they had an 11 to six win. And then I think something else, but five of the nine games have been one run games. So I think there's this perception out there that the giants can't beat the Dodgers. And and I don't think that that's true. Now it's not to say I'm going to have all kinds of giants action in this series, but I will be curious to see how these games are priced and how these lines move. You know, I'm not sure who's going to start for the Dodgers on Tuesday, but I expect Julio Urias to take money on Wednesday, and I know Walker Buehler will take money on Thursday. You know, there's also a perception out there that Anthony DiStefani, because he had one bad start against the Dodgers, can't pitch against the Dodgers. So I expect Walker Buehler money to come in on Thursday, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this series here. Dodgers trail by a game. They're tied in the win column. They have two games in hand on the Giants. So curious to see what happens here with this series. And, and let's see what happens with the futures price for the National League West uh, between these two teams as well. Rangers and the Tigers here. Kyle Gibson, Casey Mize in a good pitching matchup tonight. Dane Dunning, Tarek Skubal tomorrow. Jordan Lyles and to be determined on Wednesday. And then to be determined for the Rangers and Tyler Alexander on Thursday. Some blanks here in terms of the starting pitchers, but I will say this. When you look around Major League Baseball, and as I talked about already, I think it will be a very top-heavy second half of the year. I think based on what we've seen with the adjustment to foreign substances and all of that, the good teams will be really good and the bad teams will be really bad. The Rangers are a really bad team. The Tigers are not. The Tigers are now 43-51. and 51. And remember, this is a team that was 9-24. and 24 to start the season. So there's seven games over 500, you know, basically since mid to late May, they are playing very well. And I think they have a clear cut goal in mind now of getting to 500 by the end of the year. And it's going to be easier said than done, but I think this Tigers team is highly, highly motivated the rest of the way. 
I think AJ Hinch is a brilliant manager. I love that hire that they made. They've got some young guys, and I do worry a little bit about their arms and how they kind of protect them. But this Tigers team, man, I mean, you know, they've been pretty much average offensively. They've been you know, in the realm of average. The pitching staff's been good. And there's this sense of belief with them. And this kind of delves into that gray area. You know, as a metrics-based handicapper, it's not something I feel overly comfortable with. But I think that this Tigers team wants to get to 500. And they're taking on a Rangers team here that is awful. And a Rangers team that could trade Kyle Gibson, could trade Joey Gallo, should trade Joey Gallo. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Tigers play really, really well here in this series. Tonight's game is a coin flip, and I think that's a reasonable line for that. But I may take a piece of Scooble tomorrow. I may fade Lyles on Wednesday and take the Tigers. You know, we'll see who make, who gets that start for them. But I think that the Tigers are a team that's engaged, a team that's motivated, a team that has a goal in mind. Is it the playoffs? No. But for this team to go 500 is a massive accomplishment. So I think that's what they're kind of vying for here. And I think they will understand that this is a spot for them to win three out of four or get a sweep or something like that. So I think the Tigers are sufficiently motivated this week and and may end up being a profitable team for us to play on in that series. The Red Sox and the Blue Jays get started tonight with Nick Pavetta and Ross Stripling, Garrett Richards, Alec Manoa tomorrow, Tanner Hoke and uh, Robbie Ray coming up here on Wednesday. Expect money on Alec Manoa on Tuesday. Get on this overnight because this line will go up. Garrett Richards has looked awful since the start of June Big spin rate decreases for him. He's only a two-pitch pitcher as it is. Command profile kind of waning here. I think the Jays are in great shape in this series. They've already taken some money tonight with Stripling. They'll take money tomorrow with Manoa, and they'll definitely take money on Wednesday with Robbie Ray against an unknown dude for the Red Sox. So I think that, you know, look, I mean, if the Blue Jays want to get back into this thing, I think they have the chance to do so. This is a big series for them. And I think they will treat it as such. And their offense looks unstoppable right now. Red Sox pitching staff is faltering. This could be a sweep for the Blue Jays, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. So if you find a reasonable Blue Jays series price, I'm not sure what's out there. I haven't looked yet today. Uh, You know, maybe something in the 140, 145 range, something like that. It's probably worth doing. It could be higher than that. It could be as high as 160 or something. But I do think that the Blue Jays are in pretty good shape here for this series lastly the Cubs and the Cardinals Alec Mills and John Woodford tonight sounds like a bourbon collaboration or something like that uh Trevor Williams and to be determined on Tuesday Kyle Hendricks Adam Wainwright Wednesday Adbert Alzali and Quang Hyung Kim coming up on Thursday tough series to gauge here you know it's at Bush Stadium with two bad offenses the Cardinals just won a series against the Giants and scored seven runs total in the series the Cubs you know, decent look down in Arizona. The offense played a little bit better, but they've got all those guys on the trade block. You do kind of wonder, you know, what their engagement level is here as we go forward. But, you know, a real tricky series here. I kind of leaned towards Chicago tonight. I uh, didn't take it, but I kind of had a little bit of a lean that way with Mills against Woodford. Uh, Woodford at least pitched six days ago. Mills has not pitched in over 10 days. So that was part of the problem for me there. But, uh, you know, just two teams that, 
I think are very tough to gauge at this point in time right now. So, uh, you know, a headline kind of series. I think two games are on ESPN in this series, but not sure there's going to be a whole lot of betting value between that Cubs and Cardinals matchup. Covered a lot of ground here on the show, skating tripods at gmail.com to get on the list for the Betters Box show notes. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you again on Thursday. And remember that you'll never strike out when you're in the Betters Box. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.